Rejoice in the Lord. And again, I say, what a joyous, wonderful day it is to be here in church celebrating the good news together, celebrating God's kingdom come on our earth as it is in heaven, in our hearts and through us. Well, we are in a series called Beyond the Walls, and we have been talking about how we as a church should think that when we leave this building, we're actually going out to the mission field. That church isn't about coming together each and every Sunday, and that, that's it. It's about going out beyond the walls of our church and loving the world. John 3.16 says, God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. And so we want to love the world. And we've been talking through how we're launching the last part of our discipleship pathway. And if you're new here today, when you leave, you can see it. It's a a big thing on the wall there where we want to help people know God, share in community, learn discipleship, and love the world. And we want to help people love the world through missions, evangelism, and service. So three weeks ago, Doug Martin came and shared about how we can love the world through missions, how if we listen to the voice of God through His Word and through His people, and we can go out and share that good news. Two weeks ago, we looked at the life of Jesus, and we looked at His character and His attitude, and that we are to have a character of a servant. We are to have the attitude of a servant. And with that character and attitude, we're to look for opportunities to serve others. And that serving others can be one of the best tools in our tool belt. And then last week, we looked at the four men who brought their paralytic friend to Jesus. Because of their faith, they saw an opportunity. And then when they brought him to Jesus, there was an obstacle. And they did whatever they needed to do to get their friend to Jesus, even though the obstacle was there. But their primary goal was to meet the physical need of their friend. But what they found is when they met Jesus, they experienced grace. And Jesus solved the greatest need that they have, which was the spiritual need, the forgiveness of sins. And so as we think through how we as Christians can live out our faith beyond the walls of North Park, how we can love the world through missions, evangelism, and service, we all understand that You know, evangelism and outreach and and loving the world is something we should do. We all know it's something we should do. We all have heard, if you've been attending North Park for any time, you've heard the Great Commission preached multiple times, that we're to make disciples of all the nations. But just because we know something is important, that doesn't make it easy. Uh, For the last year and a half, I've been on a yo-yo diet. I don't know if any of you guys have done this, where you go on a diet and you lose weight, and then you go off the diet and you gain some of it back, and then you go back on. And and thankfully, I'm in the right trajectory, Uh, but uh, I tend to, when life is busy, well, I'll pick it up next week, and then next week comes and there's ice cream. And I'm like, oh, I'll pick it up next week. But that's, that's how we are with lots of things in our life. When things are hard, when things are difficult, when they take a lot of effort, and anything that's good takes a lot of effort, it's easy to just say, well, not right now. Yesterday, uh, talking to the elders and deacons, we, we talked about 
um, how hard this is to to share about Jesus with our friends and our coworkers. And it's because we're worried about a relational strain. We're worried about, is it the right time? Is it the right, the right place? We're worried about, you know, will they want to know more? Will they reject us? Or maybe we've never even experienced success in this. And so we feel like, you know, one of the tiger's batters, that every time he goes up to bat, he strikes out. And so sometimes those hardships make us really hesitant. We don't want to talk about evangelism. We don't want to talk about outreach because we just don't know where we fit into this. And so as a church, we've encouraged you all to find your one. Instead of this really, you know, complicated outreach program, we just would encourage every single one of you to choose one person, one person, and pray for that person every day. And at least once a week, invest in them in some way even if it's a little way of just sending them a text, how are you doing, and invite them to the next right thing. Now, we don't know what outcome that may come from that. You may invest and pray for them for 15 years, and they still never have any interest in Jesus. Or they may next week go, wow, I see how much your life has changed. I want to experience what you have. That's part of that that passage that we're going to be learning this series, is that we're to always be prepared to give the reason for the hope we profess. How can you give a reason for something if nobody asks? So we're called to live in such a way that when people ask, why are you different? Why do you have hope? Why in the midst of this really difficult situation do you have me? And so we live in such a way that we can have opportunities to be faithful and obedient to the Lord, to love God and love others and trust God with the results. So today we're going to be talking about the role of prayer. If we're going to be praying daily, we want to talk about does prayer even matter? Does it even have an effect? So let's read Colossians 4. I'm just going to read it. You can follow along in your Bible or up on the screen or here. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so you may know how to answer everyone. Let's pray. God, we all have people in our lives that are struggling, are hurting. We want nothing more than for them to experience the healing and grace that you offer. Lord, in this room, many of us have experienced life change. We've gone through seasons of of hardship and experienced your grace and your mercy and your presence in the midst of the most difficult circumstances. And we look at our friends and our co-workers and our family members. We go, I want you to experience that. But Lord, knowing how and when and what to share is so difficult. So we just pray today as we open your word that you'll speak through it. You'll challenge us. You'll encourage us. You'll help us to see that you are the one that saves, not us. And so we can just be faithful, love you, and be obedient. In your name we pray. Amen. Sorry. Prayer is an interesting word. 
Whenever there's a sermon on prayer, I think sometimes, at least before I was a pastor, I know that when I saw the topic was prayer, because I think every single one of us as Christians know prayer is important, and I've never talked to a Christian who said, I, don't, I, I pray too much. <laughs> I spend too much time in prayer. And there's a sense that all of us know we should spend more time in prayer, and sometimes there's a sense of guilt, and other times there's a sense of joy. I, I remember um, when I was at D6 conference many years ago, and I've told this story before, and the guy had us raise your hand if you think it's good to pray with your spouse. You, you know, everybody raised their hand. And, and uh, do you think it would benefit praying with your spouse? Everybody raised your hand. He said, okay, how many of you pray with your spouse every day? And there was like three hands that raised. And then I made a commitment to pray with my spouse every day. It changed our marriage. And then we had two foster kids move in, and life got crazy, and we just kind of stopped doing it. It was still important. It was still helpful. And then recently we started, we recognized, hey, there's, there's a lack of, of emotional intimacy right now. And we, we re- recognized that that was an element that we were missing. And, and sometimes we can see that this word prayer is important. We can know that it's important, know that it's valuable. But oftentimes we can treat God like a genie in a bottle. You know, when things are going good, we're good. But then when something bad happens, we go to him, we rub the lamp. God, would you provide healing? God, would you help me? God, would you solve this relational strain? And we often only go to God when we have significant issues, whereas the Scriptures say we should go to him at all times. Colossians is a book written by a guy named Paul. Paul was a guy who went around throwing Christians into jail. And having them executed. He was at Stephen's execution, holding the people's coats as they threw stones at Stephen. But then one day, he was on a road, and he met Jesus. And his life was forever changed. And so then he started telling everybody else, everybody he knew, people he didn't know. Everywhere he went, he told people about Jesus. And in fact, he was imprisoned. And as he was in prison, he continued to write letters. Thirteen of the 27 letters we have in the New Testament that we call books are written by Paul. And Colossians is one of those books that he wrote while he was imprisoned, shackled to another uh, Roman guard every day, probably in house arrest. And he believed that prayer was absolutely necessary. And so while he was in jail, someone came and told him about this church in Colossae. And they said, look, these, these Colossians, there's some really good things going on, but I want you to address these other things. And so Paul, chained to a prison guard, gets out, probably has someone else come and, and talks to him and says, write these things down. And there were times that he wrote it with his own hand, but he said, write these things down and send this letter to Colossae. And at the end of that letter... He has just some closing words. And in these closing words, there's two commands. And from those two commands, I think there are three points. So we're going to look at three things today. One, be devoted to prayer. Two, pray for others. Three, live out your prayers. Be devoted to prayer, pray for for others, and live out your prayers. Because I think sometimes it's important to go back to the basics. He starts off by saying, devote yourselves to prayer. Devote yourselves to prayer. In 1 Thessalonians 5, he writes it this way. Pray without ceasing. It's this idea of unrelenting persistence in prayer. Uh, I don't know how many of you like watching sports, but if you've ever 
read some of the schedules of these professional athletes. They spend hours training, working out. They're devoted. It has to be their whole life. They, they, they create these whole intricate food uh, plans to, specifically for their muscles and all this stuff. And they have to be completely devoted to be at that high of a level. Well, well Paul says as Christians, we're to be devoted to prayer. And we see this in the early church. In Acts 1, as the disciples are waiting for the Holy Spirit to come, they all join together constantly in prayer. In Acts 2, after the Holy Spirit comes upon the church and the church has started, and 3,000 people come to know Christ, and they start to gather. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. They were devoted to this. As you continue in Acts, in Acts 6, as uh, they have the, some of the Hellenistic widows are not getting uh, the right food. They say, we need to come up with these deacons. We need to find this way to have make sure these needs are taken care of. Why? So the elders can give their attention to prayer and the ministry of the Word. In Romans 12, Paul writes, we're to be joyful in hope, patience in affliction, and faithful in prayer. It's this idea that as Christians, if we're to be devoted to something, prayer needs to be an intricate part of that devotion. He says we're to be devoted to prayer, but we're also to be watchful. Be watchful. Now, it's possible this is describing the idea that Christ is returning, so we're to live in expectation for that. But Given the context, I think it actually means more of the idea of what Jesus said to the disciples when they were at Gethsemane. He said, stay here and keep watch. And they came back and they had fallen asleep. And he says, no, look, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. So it's this idea that in our prayer, we're, 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 we're recognizing that there's temptations, there's hardships, there's things that will come. And so we need to be watchful. At Ephesians 6, the, the ending of his letter to Ephesians, which he also wrote while he was in prison, he said something very similar to the end of Colossians. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions. There's that devotion. With all kinds of prayers and requests. So there's lots of different types of prayers we have, but he says to, in all occasions to do this. With this in mind, be alert and always keep praying for the Lord's people. He's recognizing that we need to be alert of all the situations. And he says later, we're going to talk about praying for others. Be alert to what's going on and pray for each other. We need to hold each other up in prayer because we're going to face difficulties. So as we prepare for struggles, as we prepare for hardships, we need to be watchful. And then he says we need to be thankful. Thankfulness sets the atmosphere for prayer. I think it's so easy in our lives to be overwhelmed by what's directly in front of us. Whatever that moment is. Whatever it is. A busy schedule. You know, Sandy and I with four kids, three and we're always busy. And, and Sandy's made the comment, like I would ask her about Friday. She's like, today's Tuesday. I can't, I can't talk about Friday. I just need to get through to, today. But, but that's when our lives are, are busy, we often just, whatever's right in front of us, we're like, I, I'm going to focus on that. And then if that thing is not good and pleasing and wonderful, it can be easy 
to get frustrated and depressed and anxious. And Paul says, as we're devoting to prayer, we need to be watchful and thankful. Where's Paul writing this from? Has any of you ever been uh, attached to a Roman guard imprisoned and had a shackle on your foot? Anyone? No? I can imagine. I, I, would, I would not be very thankful in that situation. You know, I, I can't even stand camping because there's no bed. Like, I can't imagine being shackled to a guard 24-7. And as he's doing that, Paul writes, be thankful. Last week we talked about how we'll face many obstacles as we try to go beyond the walls. But we're still to be thankful. Thankful for God. Thankful for His grace. Thankful for His presence. So it says, be devoted to prayer. Second, pray for others. And he says, and pray for us too. I was going to title this pray for us. In fact, in your uh, bulletin, it said the second point is pray for us. But we're not going to pray specifically for Paul now. But we need to pray for those on mission. We need to pray for our church. We need to pray for others in our church. So Paul is saying at the beginning of Colossians, Paul said, we're praying for you. But now he says, pray for us too. Pray for us. At the beginning of first, or Corinthians, the very first chap, chapter, we have what's called a mirror reflection. Paul says, we have not stopped praying for you, always giving joyful thanks to the Father. He says, I'm continuing to pray for you in every moment. Ever since I heard of what's going on, I haven't stopped praying for you. And then he ends the letter by saying, and pray for us. I'm praying for you. Please pray for us. I read a story from the life of Hudson Taylor, a famous missionary uh, to China. And there was a mission statement that was particularly blessed in the China Inland Mission, far above the others. There seemed to be no accounting for this because others were equal in devotion and equal in ability. Hudson Taylor was traveling and speaking in England, and after meeting a man, the man came up and began to ask him about that particular station. And then he began to ask many personal questions. It turned out that the man had been the college roommate of the missionary at that station many years earlier, and he had committed himself to daily praying for the work there. And so Hudson Taylor said, then I knew the answer as to why things were different. See, prayer makes a difference. Now notice Paul's focus. Does he say, pray for us that God will take me out of prison? Pray for us that God will free me from my shackles. Pray for us that God will remove my difficulties. No. Pray for us that God may open a door for our message. As he was in prison, he continued to preach the gospel. And that was his prayer, that God would open a door. In fact, if you go to Philippians 1, he says that his imprisonment actually served to advance the gospel, that the whole palace guard and everyone else heard who Christ was, and that the other Christians were strengthened as they looked at what Paul did. As they saw Paul proclaim the gospel without fear, they were challenged and they did the same. Paul believed that prayer made all the difference. He didn't ask for prayer for removing him from his difficult situations. He says, pray that God opens the door. As we think about our friends, our coworkers, our neighbors, our family members, 
of the best things we can pray is, God, would you open the door? Because God is the one that changes hearts, not us. You could have the most articulate argument that has ever existed. But God is the only one who opens hearts. And so we pray that God would open those doors. And we could pray the same thing for our church. That God would open our hearts on Sunday mornings. That, that as our, our, our friends here, our church family, goes out to where they live, work, and play, that God would open doors for the gospel. That, we would, that God would go before us and open doors for us to share this good news. But what does Paul want an open door for? So that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ. And he explained this mystery that before it was the Gentiles didn't understand who Christ was and salvation was through the Jews. But now this salvation message is going out to all the Gentiles for all. This mystery of Christ. He says, because I'm proclaiming the gospel, because I'm proclaiming salvation for all, that's why I'm in chains. And we all know. We should all proclaim the gospel. But how often do we seek open doors? It's a lot easier to say it than it is to do. This last week, uh, two different soccer games. Uh, one Thursday night, I was not where I wanted to be on my sermon. And uh, my 14-year-old uh, had not had any playing time all season. He hadn't gotten in the game yet. Um, and uh, I went to the game and... I decided I was going to sit by myself and work on my sermon. Um, and uh, I tried to look like I was watching the game so nobody judged me, but I sat far away from everybody else. And I just worked on my sermon. And he didn't get in, but I, I still saw the goals and stuff. And then as I was sitting there, I was going, Phil, you're giving a message on asking for open doors, and you're sitting by yourself away from everybody else. But I, I got my sermon's not ready, God. It's not ready. I need to work on it. And 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 I did. I worked on it the entire time. I, I picked them up. I went home. But then Saturday, I sat right in the middle of a whole bunch of people I didn't know. And I said, I'm I'm here to build relationships. And I got to know people. I got to meet people. And I was like, Lord, would you cause this to to open doors in the future? It's it's an attitude, oftentimes, and that's where prayer comes in. Paul needed the prayer of others to be successful, and he needed the prayer to be successful. So he believes that God is the one that opens doors, but God does that through prayer. And Paul also prays that God would guide his words when he had those open doors. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. God, when you open those doors, when you, when you give me opportunities, I, I want to proclaim this clearly. I want other people to know. In Ephesians 6, he writes it this way. Pray for me that whenever I speak, whenever, or pray also for me, that's a pray for us, words may be given me. I think sometimes we're like, well, what if I don't know what to say? What if God opens a door and and I'm just, I stumble over my words and I, I don't know what to say. I don't know how to communicate these things. Well, Paul recognized that, that he's praying that God will give him words. Why? So that I can fearlessly make known. Paul's afraid. There are times where Paul is saying, God, I need you to give me the words so that I can fearlessly proclaim it. In my flesh, I'm afraid. 
And I need your grace. I need your confidence that comes knowing that you are the one that gives me the words. You are the one that opens the doors. And so that I can fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador. An ambassador is a representative. Someone that goes to another country and says, I'm going to represent America to them. Christians, we're ambassadors. As people hear and read and and have perceptions of who Christians are, the only thing that change that is by us living on our faith and loving them unconditionally and demonstrating day in and day out that we care for them, that they're not a target, that that we love them, that they want we want their good, we want them to experience blessing, and that we're here for them. As we do that, as we're ambassadors then that opens the door for them to go, why is Phil different? Why? I, I, you know, I have heard all these things about Christians, but it, that's not what I see in Phil. Why is he different than my perception of what Christianity is? Because I'm an ambassador. I'm called to, to demonstrate who Christ is as I share. He says, pray also that I may declare it fearlessly. Again, saying, as I should. Paul recognizes that this is his commission. This is what he is called to do. We all recognize that we are all to make disciples. It's a command for all of us. We know we should do it. But Paul says, I need prayer so that I have the right words, so I'm not afraid, and so I can declare it, and so I can be an ambassador of Jesus Christ. See, Paul in Colossians 4 challenges the church to be devoted to prayer, This is what we're called to do, to pray for others. He says, pray for us. And lastly, to live out your prayers. So he continues with this challenge. And this is the second command. The first command is be devoted to prayer. The second command is to be wise. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Simple concept, be wise in the way you act toward people who don't yet know Jesus. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know the answer for everyone. How are we to be wise? In the way we act with outsiders. It, it literally is translation, translated in the way you walk. Be wise in the way you walk. So as we go throughout our day, as we go throughout the things we do each and every day, we're to be wise. And why are to be wise? So we can make the most out of every opportunity. We have daily opportunities to be wise, to demonstrate who Christ is. So how do we speak in those situations? It says our conversation should be always full of grace, seasoned with salt. Full of grace, seasoned with salt. Full of grace. Sometimes I worry as I watch on the internet things unfold. I don't know if Christians are best known by our grace and how we have conversations. My prayer is that you're known by grace. That people recognize you are a person that shows considerable grace every single time, every single situation. And that your words are seasoned with salt. Um, 
if you season food, have you ever had food that hasn't been seasoned at all? You know, it's just, it's not very good. This, this last weekend we had a, a, a meal for the admin deacons and mercy deacons and Bruce and Bev Wired cooked this amazing pork tenderloin. And I think they were like, Phil would really love to eat pork because he doesn't get to eat pork at home. So it was so good. It was so good. And all the food was good. But when you eat something that's not seasoned or not cooked, you can just tell right away. My personal Lowry seasoning and McCormick steak seasoning put both those on something that tastes great. It just changes everything. And, and our conversations should be filled with this grace, this undeserved merit that's not dependent on their attitude and actions. In the Greco-Roman world, Christians were not really liked. So not dependent on who they are. And then it's also to be seasoned with salt. It should be pleasant, full of grace, life-giving. So that means even with that coworker that drives you nuts, that family member that you can't stand, the neighbor that's always rude, your conversations are meant to be full of grace and seasoned with salt so that you may know how to answer everybody. You live in such a way that they will ask. That's the point of First Peter 3. Always be prepared to give a reason for the hope that you profess. If we live in such a way, people will ask us, why are you different? And then we have an answer. For that hope we profess. But then 1 Peter 3 says to do so with, oh wow, I blanked. Always be prepared to give reason for the hope you profess, but do so. Gentleness and kindness. Thank you. Wow, I'm working on the memory verse too, guys. I'm sorry about that. With gentleness and respect. With gentleness and respect. And so it's that same idea, full of grace, seasoned with salt. With gentleness and respect. And so we're to live in such a way as we demonstrate wisdom, grace, love, joy, and thoughtfulness in all of our conversations. So what does all this mean? Why does Paul choose to end his letter to the Colossians with these four verses? I love how David Garland summarized this. The final instructions in this passage divide into two imperatives, which I told you guys. One, be devoted to prayer. Two, be wise in the way you act. Both pertain to mission work. Paul wants the Colossians to pray that he will have an open door to speak. So he's praying that he will have an open door and that they themselves will seize every opportunity and know how to answer others. So he's saying we need to be devoted to prayer. We need to pray for others. We need to live out our prayer. What North Park, we've been talking about this idea of who's your one. Of finding some person to pray for every day, to invest in every week and to invite them to the next right thing. And so with that, I want to go back to those three main points that we're called to pray daily, and we're called to pray for others, and we're called to live out your prayers. I'm just going to do them in a little bit of a different order. First, pray daily. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Uh, last or Two springs ago, we talked about the, the parable of the persistent widow in Luke 18. Uh, Jesus told them this disciple, he said, In a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, Grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused. But finally he said to himself, Even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. 
In other words, she's annoying me so bad, I'm just going to give her what she wants. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. This is an unjust judge. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you that that he will see that they get justice and quickly. God says, be like the widow. Pray fervently. Don't give up. Continue to come before my throne with your requests. And so how do we, how do, we do that? How do we, how do we be devoted to prayer? How do we build this into our lives and our busy schedules and everything else? Uh, one uh, way you can do that is just to set an alarm. I have an alarm on my phone every day at 10.09, except for on Sundays at 10.09 a.m., because I turned it off for that day because it kept ringing down my sermon. But every other time at 10.09, my, my alarm goes off. And that's a reminder for me to pray, because on October 9th, we're going to start our Come and See series, and I'm going to encourage everybody to invite people. And so I've been praying for that every day for the last five months. 10.09, 10.09. Maybe you find out what your one's birthday is. Maybe their birthday is like... May 4th, like Sandy's. And so at 5.04, you know, some of you might not want to set your alarm on anyone if, you're, if they're like March 2nd. Um, but every day at 5.04, that alarm goes off and you go, okay, I'm going to pray for my one. And, and, and to have that thought process, that those little daily rhythms, to pray with your friends, with your life group, to tell your life group about your neighbor and, and their struggles and how you're praying for them and how you want to come along and serve them and help them, to have your D groups praying for that one person, to pray God's Word. Uh, this booklet that we handed out last week, and there's more available back there, uh, simply what it does is it has a, a Bible verse, and it has you pray the principle of that Bible verse for your friend. There's also back there free copies of the Bible, of the, um, of the book, Pray the Scriptures, I think it is, or Pray the Bible. Um, it's a great way to increase your time in God's Word. That's out on the table there. So pray God's Word. We want to pray daily. We want to be devoted to prayer. And let's go out of order, and let's look secondly at live out your prayers. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders, making the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. It's that idea of living out what you're praying. And so next week, Pastor John's going to talk about how do we invest in others in ways that point them to the grace and love we've experienced through Jesus. And lastly, pray for others. Specifically, Paul said to the church, pray for us. But I think we can take that principle and know it's, it's good to pray for our church leaders, to pray for our missionaries, to pray for the others in our life group, to pray for the others in our D group, that God would open a door for the message so that we can proclaim the mystery of Christ and that we can proclaim it clearly. As we encourage our people to invite to the next right thing, whatever that right thing would be. We encourage the life groups to have front porch events. You know, back in the day, I don't know if you remember this, people used to have front porches. And the front porches used to get together and you, people would go for walks and they stop by and they sit down on the front porch and they talk to each other. And as culture changed, we started building back decks. We started putting fences around the back decks so that nobody could see us. And we shut ourselves in from our neighborhoods and our communities. And so life groups could be 
could have front porch events, these events that would welcome others to be a part and to experience this wonderful group. Uh, We can invite people to church. Some people, that's not the right thing to invite to at first, but it could be. Uh, I love the story in the scriptures. Uh, The reason why that uh, ABW trained because the parable of the sower, and he cast the seed out to all these different areas. And some soil wasn't receptive, but there was this fourth soil, which is what uh, what John Shepherd always talks about, where the where the seed took root and it grew. And so we're called to to cast out the seed, but only God is the one that that knows which seed is going to grow. And so we pray for our church, we pray for our life groups, we pray for our D groups, we pray for our kids and our student ministries, for friendship clubs, for for grief share. We pray that God would send us out. Because Jesus said, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. So that's my prayer. God, would you send us out? Would you send us out? I don't want you to walk away from the sermon beat up. Like, okay, Phil, I know. I need to pray more. I need to witness more. I I stink. Because it can be easy when we have these types of sermons to feel that way but i just want to encourage you we're all in this together we're all broken people that make mistakes every single day and that's why we come together as a church we come together to encourage each other to support each other to know you're not in this alone when you're seeking to go out and live the gospel you have a friend that might be right next to you today that can pray for you You can text hey uh, i'm going to this hard meeting right now and i really want to yell at my boss would you pray that i can show grace that my conversation will be seasoned with salt you can send a text hey i'm going to have a chance to to you know go today to be with my family and and right now there's some really high tensions you know i need your prayer we're all in this together so i challenge you when i went to that d6 conference and heard that message on praying with my wife it was a challenge i didn't like to hear it i thought i'm doing really bad and i walked away feeling pretty awful about myself but then i said let me do something about it and it changed my life I would challenge you. Paul says we need to be devoted to prayer, live out our prayers, and pray for others. May we take that to heart and know we're going to mess up, but let's let's bind together as one family and help each other to be successful in this. Let's love our neighbors, let's love our coworkers, let's love our family, and let's demonstrate the love of Jesus each and every day so that we're always ready and prepared to give a reason for the hope we profess, but we can do it with gentleness and respect. Let's pray. God, you're so good. And Lord, uh, we know we, we all can get so caught up in the things that are directly in front of us that demand our attention, that it can be so hard, Lord, to, to stop and pray, to be devoted to prayer, to ask you to open doors, to ask you to give us fearlessness, to give us boldness as we proclaim, to ask you to give us the word so we can proclaim it clearly to pray for our friends and those in this room that are also struggling on the same journey together as we are. Lord, I pray that we would strengthen each other each and every week. Pray for D groups as they hold each other up, as they pray for each other's one. I I pray for life groups as we seek to help each other on this journey. And I pray for us, Lord, that we won't just come to church to hear a good word and to sing a good song and then to go home, but that we will live out our faith where we live work and play 
and that you will use us for your glory. In your name we pray. Amen.